Yo, we are, that's it, let's go, we're recording. Welcome yeah. to the Where It Went podcast, where we are discussing the Revelation Records catalog in chronological order. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Javier, I guess we, we don't, we don't always like, uh, you know, people introduce themselves on radio shows or podcasts and I, I see a lot of people comment and they're like, well, you know, the one guy that was talking about that one thing. So anyway, <laughs> to, so that you can, for this episode, so that uh, you could put a voice with a name. I'm Javier. I'm Jason. And I'm Greg. And we are the Where It Went crew. Bit of bow. So we have an exciting episode today. Um, we've been literally like talking about it in our chat and looking forward to this for since day one, yeah. <laughs> you know, this has been like a big thing for us. Jason, what do we have today? Today we have Into Another, Revelation Records, number 24. Just Into Another, yeah. Self-titled. Self-titled, yeah. Self-titles is a bit of a self-serving word, right? <laughs> I guess, but uh, there's no other classification for it. I did, ah, uh, and I was so bummed. So for full disclosure... We recorded the interview for Self-Titled and Creepy EP at the same time. And I had a burning question for Self-Titled and I forgot to ask it until we were doing the Creepy EP interview. Um, I was told at one point that this record actually had a proper title and it just was left off of the art. And I was told mm. this because I was told this by a guy called Dan Senna. Um, he's a local musician, photographer, videographer, DJ. He's just an all-around good art guy. And if you look at the promo poster for Into Another Self-Titled, there's a um, one of the song titles is displayed across the promo poster, right? And it's For Lack of a Better World, not for lack of a better word, like is the common phrase used in English, but that's also one of the sound, song titles, correct, Jason? Yeah, that's right. Side A, side B? Side B. Side B. Um, I think it's, isn't it like the kind of weird instrumental on that record? No, I'm you're so, not I'm so about bad that. with titles, man. Yeah, yeah so am I. Yeah. I, I, like, I, I have to, yeah. That's okay. That's okay. So anyway, it's on the promo poster. Um, Rev, as we all know, over the years has done some incredible posters, um, highly sought after. Of course, the number one talked about in this podcast is the bold poster, right? That's like a Which features into a future into another drummer. Drew. Drew B. That's right. Um, so on the, if I can get through this story ever, <laughs> for lack of a better world, right? It That's says the, the Talisman song, by the way. Okay, great. Yeah, so it's like kind of a, a like a, an acoustic. There's like yes. a classical guitar. Um, and so Dan's like, yeah, that's what the record's actually called. So I eventually got to ask the band and they're like, no, that's not what it's called. That's just was what was put on the promo poster. So as I say in a future episode, myth busted. Myth busted. <laughs> myth busted. But that's, you know... That's why we're here. We're here to ask those fucking weird, dumb, nerdy questions. <laughs> the lore that we've heard along the way, the stories, pulling these uh, 
these memories out of these people because this was recorded in 90 well it was released in 91 right 91 92 so we're in 2021 right now it's a 30 year old record yeah so they're recording this like a lifetime ago yeah so yeah for them to even remember anything about this shit is incredible let alone these minutiae that we're pouring over websites and fanzines and stuff to get the burning answers to right Anyway, um, this was a super cool episode to record, um, to, to get a hold of these musicians and artists and people that we've admired for a long time. So um, before we get into the episode, do we have anything that we need to... Um, hey. I, I guess I, I just want to give another bit of bow to everybody who has just reached out, kind words, written a review on... Uh, Apple rated it, uh, the podcast, followed on Instagram, shared stuff, patrons, all that. Just a general thank you to everybody. Hey, That's so all I got. Bit of bow to everyone that tuned in to the Revelation Records takeover. Yeah, I was going to say a uh, bit of bow to Sammy at Revelation Records. Siegler. Sammy, Sammy Siegler. Siegler. Um, he and Jordan. is really the one who like masterminded that whole thing and pulled it all together. You know, of course we had input. We put in there who we wanted to, like our wish list of who we wanted to talk to. Um, Greg, I was super jealous that Jason got to talk to Wes. Um, that, but that was, uh, uh, you know, out, out of my own shit, uh, uh, being a, a Wes fanboy, I was like, damn, I wanted to talk to him. But the connection that Count Me Out had to American Nightmare and being able to talk about some of that stuff in that time period, it was like irreplaceable. Right. So, that was my thought too. Like yeah. I, you know, when we originally did it and Jason was like, nah, I'm going to just, you know, chill. I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really an IG live kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I respect that. We're like, okay, cool. And then, um, you know, I think like me and Hav, we're going to do three and three. And I was like, oh, I'll do the West one because I would love to talk to West too. But I, then I, I thought on it and I was like, Jason, dude, you're the, you're the best one. Like you're the man for this job because yeah. of, of that, of that connection. Like, um, you know, just going pretty deep, um, you know, Cloak Dagger played shows with American Nightmare mm -hmm. when they played a couple years ago. Uh, yeah, that's right. Right. Like a weekend of shows. It just, yeah. it just made sense. Yeah, um, but I had a blast. The, like, yeah, you knocked it out of the park too, Jason. Like that. Yeah. Was, Shit. Was, Pop, a, thank you. What a good. I love listening to people who have done other things in music. You know, Wes, of course, with Cold Cave and some of the more like electronics and experimental stuff that he does. But then to hear him talk about Revelation Records and Judge, yeah, and like all that shit it was really cool to hear. You know. I love that also. And I wanted to ask him more mm -hmm. about uh, some of those early bands and getting into hardcore, but at the same time, he's so prolific. It would be a shame to not try to touch on everything that he's done. You know, right. His Cause it's like, I wanted to hear too about just, you know, there was, and I loved, there, there were all, I thought all the interviews, if I do say so myself, even including the two that I, I did like, in no part, maybe necessarily to me or, or even to you guys, but I, all the guests were great. Like yeah, we yeah. had some great conversation, but Wes, I really like when it got deep and he was just talking about, 
you know, why people related to um, American Nightmare so yeah. much in the beginning. And I was like, yeah, all he's right. Up kids. Yeah, just like yeah. all these, you know, and, and uh, you know, it got really raw and cool. And I, I liked that. And um, yeah. I've always, you know, super respected uh, Wes. And, you know, I like all the American Nightmare stuff too. Like, I don't, like some people, a, you know. What a comeback draw, record. Yeah, I love that comeback that full, record. That full length is so good. I agree. I have it on and cassette, and it gets regular rotation in my office. It's great. Nice. And that seven inch, Jason, our, the life support seven inch is yeah, also great. Um, so it's just cool to see, uh, you know, him and, and of course the band still doing it. Yeah. And, um, you know, actually releasing new music that is good, which. Yeah. Our episode today, we talk about that a little bit, I think, maybe somewhere into another, you know, put out stuff that was still good. But yeah, all, all the guests, um, thank you so much for your time. And thanks to everyone on my technical difficulties that were giving me <laughs> words of encouragement because I could see it, you know. You could see the people at the bottom saying, it'll work out, don't sweat it, things are going to... Catherine you know. up in the chat. Yeah, which is nice <laughs> to see, tweet. you know, as someone that's uh, <laughs> self-conscious and insecure about doing Instagram Live, that was really helpful to just see yeah. that virtual but guess, support. But, but, but guess what, too? We, we had so much fun. Um, we decided we're going to try to go live more often because I think it's a nice way to in real time kind of engage with, yeah. uh, our friends and listeners. Yeah. So this episode, when you're hearing this, we will be going live. I confirmed it again today mm-hmm. with, uh, Mike McTernan, Mike DC from, uh, damnation AD, damnation AD. Uh, and a dear uh, friend Tigers of mine. Fight. Yeah. When Tigers fight indecision mm-hmm. records, uh, but Mike's a dear friend of mine, so I'm going to be talking to him. Um, well, I guess now technically you guys can hop on too. Can't yeah, better you. you. I was right. going to say better you than me because I would fucking punish him with damage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, we're going to talk to him. So that'll be 8 p.m. Eastern time on the Where It Went Instagram. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. check out that. And we'll make sure to announce uh, when we do these. I don't know necessarily that we have a rhyme or reason for yeah, them yet. Just, like we're just, just going to kind of do them. Now that the seal is broken and we know that we can do this stuff and we know that like we can do it well, you know, talking live and um, it'll be cool. I had yeah. a lot of fun talking to Levi from Fall Silent. Um, that record is finally officially out into the world as of you hearing this, the new Fall Silent record. Um, I listened to it on Bandcamp the day that it came out. I think that I might actually purchase it on CD instead of vinyl. I would listen to it more in my car than on my turntable, I think. Um, It's really good. It's really fast. I I actually got a few people reach out to me about that Levi interview because we talked about some like kind of like obscure niche bands. And I feel like False Island falls into that category a little bit anyway. You know, they were kind of like... underrated unsung um but if if you know then you know like of the the power of false silence and it was cool to hear of a band from reno you know like you always hear about bands from the west coast or the east coast or whatever but to hear about some of these bands from like a little bit more off the beaten path places like reno or if you know bands that came up in like colorado or whatever like that it's 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 just something a little bit different. So anyway, 
bit of bow to file silent uh you can pick up that new record on revhq.com yes jason yo i was gonna say i loved your ephraim interview yo that was <laughs> uh, but hold on before because i was gonna bring up that with the false silent i thought uh i was like now i know how hob feels when like we're talking about like yeah same posi numbers <laughs> era, early 2000s. Yes, yeah, I, was just like, I was like dude this is cool you know i love hob i'm watching uh i think false silent like you know congrats on their uh, you know, record and Levi seems like a cool dude. And I was interested about the teaching and yeah. stuff. Like I was asking but us talking about like Chocolosi and Anna yeah. talk and all these fucking bands. Yeah, from I was 96 lost. from Arizona. But it was cool. People in the chat were definitely <laughs> pumped on this, on the bands yeah, you were talking yeah. about. So it's just not something I'm familiar with. But yeah, with. real quick, we got it. We got it. That Ephraim one. Yeah. When Ephraim. he mentioned that, when he said that his first day at Rev was the first time he turned on a computer, I was like <laughs> crying. <laughs> it was so funny. Um, the best comment was actually a program uh, on the chat said that me and Ephraim was like a before and after of pot. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I enjoyed hearing about Indecision Records. Yes. And Ephraim putting out records with them, obviously count me out, put out records on indecision. Mm -hmm. That's an important label to me. It's an important label to a lot of people. I put out records on grave mistake records. That's a label that's important to me and to a lot of people, but this is the revelation records podcast. So, you know, where we're going through the catalog. So I don't get a chance to say that a lot, but you know, it was cool to hear about Ephraim's relationship with Dave. Yeah. You know, Death by Stereo. when, when death by stereo first hit the scene, I'll, I'm, I didn't, I've never, I don't know if I've ever told him this, but I was a hundred percent convinced that Ephraim didn't like me like, and didn't like me on purpose, you know, like, Oh, fuck that guy. I don't know what it was. I mean, I was, maybe he found in, out about it. Did he know about your taste? No, I was no. in 18 visions at the time, which was kind of an unpopular thing, believe it or not. And he like death by stereo, adamantium and Throwdown were kind of one thing. And then 18 Visions, like we were all friends, but it was almost like it was a little bit darker, a little bit heavier, a little bit seedier, a little less fun than those other bands. Like Throwdown and Death by Stereo, when you think about them and you think about seeing them, it's like, it's fun, yeah. right? It's like a ball. And there's another band called Show of Hands from the area. They had a seven inch on Smorgasbord Records. And, and so all those bands kind of were a little bit more lighthearted and fun and goofy at times. And 18 Visions was not that. So we didn't really fit in with the whole indecision thing as much. Like, obviously, we traveled with them. We lived with them. But Death and I think Keith Barney maybe was in all three of those bands at the same time. Wait, that's right. Point. Keith Barney was in the first on the first Death by Stereo, yes, Keith, right? Keith Barney played knew, guitar. And Jared Alexander, Stereo. who played Jared American Alexander. Nightmare. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What a lineup on that record, file. man. And that's, I mean, that record is so good. It stands the test of time. And you look at who played on it, and that has like a big part of it. Not, not to take anything away from Death by Stereo now, because those guys are fucking shredders. Yeah. Right. Dan Palmer uh, is, you know, one of the who's been in the band now for what, like twenty years? Right. He's even on the Epitaph right. album, and right? he was in yeah. Eyelid originally, which is okay. also another Indecision alum. So you know, um, yeah. But that first Death by Serial record, the lineup on it, the players on it, 
Incredible. Yeah. I will say uh, Indecision Records is and, – and did Ephraim say this? I think it's kind of underrated for yes. like all the – all their catalog and the fact that they're still putting out stuff um, now that's yeah. cool. Um, you know, I don't know why they're not necessarily like a bigger label. Not that they're – I mean one up when we toured with Still Crossed who were on Indecision, like we wanted to be on Indecision so mm-hmm. bad because we loved Count Me Out. Yeah. And we were like, oh, we would love to be, you know, Thank you. on the same label as Count Me Out. But, you know, we didn't get on Indecision. But um, I just remember that Death by Stereo hearing them for the first time on an Indecision sampler. Mm-hmm. And just it was the song "Looking Out for Number One," which is a little bit more straightforward than the rest mm. of the album. So when I got the album, it kind of threw me off for a bit because I'm like, "What the hell is going on?" Yeah, there's a lot. Here. It's all over the place, um, right? And it's just so good. But that was a great convo. But enough about that. Yeah, I feel um, like we've kind of gone against our thing of uh, brevity before the interviews. And yeah, sorry. No, that's Whoa, okay. Can I add one more thing then? Yeah, since, I fuck, since we fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. Gotta, we gotta give a bit of both to uh, Parmananda to Porcel. Yeah, Parmananda stepping in last minute. Um, we interviewed him. I interviewed him because May from Torso had some something happen, something going on, and she couldn't make it to the interview. So literally, like eleventh hour. I think I went in. I was training that day, and I was like, uh, "Whatever you guys decide, just let me know." Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> professional. I'm a professional <laughs> here. I'll d- interview anyone. It doesn't matter. And you did great. like, yeah, okay, poor sells it. And I'm like, cool. I text him, we set it up, and then we're good to go. Yeah. And uh, I got a lot of, uh, I got a little bit of flack for something I said in that interview. And I just, to quote Morrissey, I'm not sorry for the things that I've done. And, and we're going to, we'll say here, we will do a full Patreon episode about Morrissey where we can kind of explain where we're all coming from. And, and someone please send us the MP3s of Richie Birkenhead's rap band. Oh my God, I can't. Yes. You have it. it. Yeah, that I'm was such hard. a, a little, uh, That was such a nice piece of gold that Porcel dropped on us. And yeah, if anyone yeah. has those, that would be awesome to hear. And so we also got that. For those that didn't tune in, Porcel told us that Richie Birkenhead and who else was it? It was him. And uh, someone I can't else. remember the name. It was someone that was well known though. Had a rap group. And did three songs, made a three-song demo. We got this information after we did the Into Another interview. So we couldn't ask Richie about it. But we got to get that out into the world, man. So if you're holding, please holler at someone. Send it to us. um, Send it to Richie. Send it to whoever, man. But, like, we got to hear that shit. Yeah, I would love to. I also want to hear the three-song Into Another demo. Yeah, so did I. I looked for it. I found nothing. Yeah. But I right. tried to internet search for it. I, I got one last thing. Yeah, kick it. Walter Show, New Direction, NYC. I was just going to say that when we were uh, okay. talking about Okay, then things. go ahead. Yeah, no, go. You go. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I tuned in. It was, and it was uh, Kevin Egan from Beyond was supposed to be on, was supposed to be on in person, but couldn't make it. So then who came by to hang out with Walter and talk hardcore? The legend. Drew Beat. Drew beat. Yeah. It was this cool one. They were just hanging out. And, uh, and just... Mind Force played. And he was like listening to Minor Threat 7-inch with the singer of Mind Force. And they were just like talking about fuck. It literally was like, it looked like Walter's basement. Like it was, it's, a, it's a set. 
Yeah. And it, it looked like they were just chilling in Walter's basement, like talking about hardcore on a fucking Sunday night. You know, it just, it was a really cool uh, thing to see. And um, if you get a chance, it's on vans66.com. You should follow, is it New Direction or A New Direction on Instagram? It's New Direction NYC. New Direction NYC. That's yeah. his show. Yeah, know. it's got a link in the bio to uh-huh. the actual. And uh, also, it's he like it's a live broadcast, and they don't like record it, so there's like no record of Mind Force playing. It just played, and then it's gone forever, as far as I know. That's sick. I love the impermanence of art. Like I kind of, in a weird, sick way, uh, wish that would have happened with our uh, live interviews on Rev. Like, hey, yeah. if you fucking missed it, sorry. But uh, it's also, you know, it's cool that those are at least there for now until maybe someone archives them, hopefully not. But um, the thing with Walter's show, like, yeah, man, you got to tune in. You got to watch it when it's happening. Just like an old fucking TV show, you know, that's rad. Cable access. So without further ado, Lord forgive me. Yeah. Because people are going to complain that we went on too long. Uh, they were talking and, uh, for 10 minutes yeah. before the interview. Jeez. I don't know how to hit fast forward. <laughs> um, but speaking of Richie Birkenhead earlier, let's get into this interview with Richie, Drew, Peter Moses, and Jordan Cooper. Enjoy. Enjoy. Oh, okay. yo, real quick. Yeah. The, uh, there is, you'll notice there's uh Richie was outside at a park. So you'll hear background noise and I stuff. I thought that was kind of cool, actually. It I thought it was cool it, too, like, uh, but you know, you'll like get one person. Recording. Like, what was going on in it the back? It was unlistenable. Yeah. This is <laughs> <a> chips, cheese. Lord <laughs> <laughs> forgive us. All right, let's go. <laughs> invite jordan too and i I don't know if we we should talk about this in the episode is like what it must have been like to hear like into another for the first time because we were talking and we said like the sea change started a little bit with um uh with the shelter record that was like where we said it things started to really change but like this you know self-titled into another is nothing like anything like there's no yeah. precedent for it almost like were you just like blown like i feel like if i would have heard this for, in 1991 i'd have been blown away immediately well yeah. without richie being here i mean if he comes in uh, chimes in that's great but like you know i think for for me at least starting like right around like after the bold uh ep was released that i did with like me and tom and matt i think we were, i was trying to go somewhere with hardcore and it felt like it wasn't received 
exceedingly well for what we were doing at that time. And I kind of felt boxed in since I had come from like the youth of today and bold stuff. And I was looking for a way to like try to get and express stuff musically, like have a, a wider horizon for what I was doing. And at that time, being in the hardcore scene, there's only so many people I knew. And I thought that, you know, Richie was someone I hung out with that even with underdog was a little bit different musically and hardcore. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we were both like, let's try to do something together. But I had to wait to get out of high school for another year. So we had been talking about it for like a year, like my senior year. And I told Matt and Bold, I was like, I'm going to quit, you know, and uh, quit the ball tour and start working on stuff with Richie. And to kind of cut to the chase to me and Richie, uh, as soon as I got out of high school, like that the following uh, fall, I guess it was 89, we recorded a demo, three songs, and we're trying to figure out what to do with this. We had like a loosely... Uh, just like some, some loose ideas. I think one song was called Dare Me, um, uh, one song called Across the Eons, and like another ballad. And we like didn't have that many people in mind, but uh, Peter, Richie knew Catherine, right? You're, he knew- uh -huh. Yeah, I met Richie, I think he was actually working the door at the Pyramid Club. Right. And, mm -hmm. and we just ran into him on the street basically. And, okay. uh, uh, and then I, I don't know, met him a couple other times and then, uh, he he must have, I think he said to Catherine that, you know, he was looking to put together a rock band. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, so then, then I, uh, I don't know, I must have called him. I forget how we did things back in the days before cell phones. Yeah, exactly. But I but remember, I, don't know, I guess I called him on an actual phone or yeah. something. But uh, made it bro, I phone. met you guys at uh, King Tut's Wawa Hut. Right. I first met you, Drew. That's right. That's right. Uh, Drew could get in there because he had a jaunty way about him. That really <laughs> him into the a jaunty young lad, if I do say so myself. Thank you for noticing, Peter. And wasn't this your first band, Peter? Is that true? And, they, and so they gave me that three-song cassette there, right. and they were like, "Check this out," and uh, yeah, you know, uh, maybe uh, we can get together or something. So I listened to it and. Uh, and uh, you know, again on an actual phone, I guess I called Richie back, and we met at um, what was it like 30th Street? Uh, yeah, so me and Richie were living yeah. together, uh, like randomly, like um, at this apartment on Seventh Avenue and 14th <laughs> Street, and we had had maybe one or two other people like come by um, and listen. Uh, Peter was the first one, I think, that kind of understood some ideas. He was kind of basically as nonplussed as everyone else was about the actual demos, but he's like, I hear some things like, so let's try to give it a shot and see what we can do with it. Um, and then what did we go to giant studios to like, I think. I, so just some hourly rehearsal thing. Yeah. I think I had, I think um, I heard uh, the underdog record uh, before we got together. And, you know, I knew that those guys were kind of coming out of uh, basically punk bands. Uh, I, I wasn't ever in a band that made a, a record that was put out. I mean, I've been in, I was in bands, but not ones that you know, put records out. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, and I was like, um, you know, somewhat of a metalhead. Uh, although I had gotten into, uh, you know, some like early '80s punk in high school with my friends. So I had a, I wasn't like a solid metalhead, and I wasn't like really a punk guy. I was you know, crossover, kind of rock, whatever. You know, who played guitar on that? Three song demo then Richie. Richie, Richie played, yeah. yeah. Richie played. I I did drums, percussion. Richie did the bass, guitar, and uh, and vocals. And um, you know that I think that we, 
I think during the first rehearsal that we had together, I think we pulled apart a couple of things from it. Uh, Peter we, had some, we we put together uh, Underlord on that very first right. time we met. Richie had yeah. uh, oh, nice. some, that was some guitar one. ideas, and the three of us sat there and we just kind of pieced it together, pretty much the way it still yeah. ended up on the record. Uh, so yeah. that was our. We felt like we'd had a success together, so we're like, okay. But going. what was the what, when so when you they approached you with that demo? What did they say they wanted the influences to be? Or, you know? <laughs> That's, I was just gonna say that. Um, so you know, I knew that I didn't, I didn't know Drew at all, but I knew Richie was in you know uh, Underdog and you know Youth Today and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, when I met when I met them, he was like, "We want to start. We want to you know, okay, well, that's our background, but we want to have uh, we want to start a rock band like Kiss." <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> not a kiss fan at all but i remember him saying that and you know think about richie which i don't think he keeps a secret he's and, and drew too to a large extent a big fan of 70s rock bands like david bowie and uh you know right. the rolling stones and and you know uh so he, he kind of wanted to bring more of that into his uh, musical life i guess and so that's how they presented it to me and i was like okay you know that sounds good because I, I like i like 70s rock bands too <laughs> It's not you Kiss. Were... I love oh, Kiss. I love Kiss. I'm I'm kind of bummed to hear because no, I, no, I heard about Into yeah, Another was like Kiss. <laughs> I think. I think. Sorry. I think we had a lot of. Um, I think we had a lot of uh, filters for different uh, genres and eras in music. Between I mean, I love the Kiss, really. like you know, theatrics. Like that's great. It's not really yes. into their songs. Same yeah. here. I think their shirts look cool, but I honestly, Lord forgive me, I don't listen to Kiss, and I've never. There's something I've never attached myself to Kiss, so it's funny to hear you say that. It's unexpected, but I like it because I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think that we, I think that in general, like we were just trying to like go with like the idea, like okay, if we can kind of take where we cut, like coming from and hardcore and attach it to some sort of elements of like Judas Priest or Kiss or some of the, these other like kind of not because there's a lot of crossover at the time like leeway or crumb sucker yeah or done that. and i i really appreciated that stuff yeah. I think a lot of that stuff is great but we didn't i guess the thing in talking about this from that that point of view is that we didn't want to just do another crossover thing we were thinking like okay like even with like the bold seven inch me and tom were you take doing like um hardcore but applying stuff that we like from whether it was like judas priest or iron maiden early iron maiden stuff like that to mm -hmm. it and seeing where that went so it's really about like how you use your your filters you um, know coming through a band that keeps coming up uh for influences around this time with rev bands is jane's addiction mm -hmm. oddly um you know uh quicksands was heavily influenced was that something that struck into you guys at all not me. I'm not a Jane's Addiction fan. You know, again, um, they have great success. Good for them. Just never really tickled me all that much. Uh, um, I know people always tell me I should check out that guitar player some more, but so maybe I'll do that. <laughs> I, I love them. I thought that Nothing Shocking was a big record for me, but I wasn't um, using them from like some sort of a point of influence. Yeah. I feel, uh, as far as Into Another goes, um, I don't really think that for me, I think we could maybe reference like it, you know, in hindsight stuff that it, it might people want to compare it to or say sure. it sounded like, but personally, I feel like from my own point of view, I was trying to build on what 
I had done before, plus I had heard in Peter's playing as soon as he started playing this interesting sound. And I was like, wow, this guy's really unique. He's coming from a totally different place than I'm used to. And what can, how can I work with what my, what my tools are right now to try to work within that framework? You know, so with stuff like Underlord, I, I actually, you know, I, I copped the, the, that it was like from like you're the friend I don't need it just sounded heavy it oh sounded that's cool. dope mm-hmm. and so I just did it with a single pedal instead of a double pedal while Peter had that whole part so you know there's like my I'm, I'm referencing myself too in that sort of meta sense I guess but it's like um we did have stuff initially that came together pretty quick like Pete said you know we did had Underlord came together with probably that first rehearsal uh, Dare me, we we revised from the demo, made it. Yeah, slower. we kind of got stuck with it for a while, and then Drew and I were just fucking around with it one day, and and we had like a breakthrough, and we're like, oh, now we like the song again, and then we uh, we pulled it together pretty quickly after that. Yeah. yeah, I think we all shared, you know, I mean, we were all very, um, you know, uh, we all wanted our musical freedom, like we're not, you know, I mean, you can tell by the first record with the, I had gone to classical to college for classical guitar, so I had that classical guitar stuff that we stuck yeah. on there. And, you know, we had some kooky experimental stuff on there. And then we had, you know, kind of, you know, bordering on real metal, you know, some of it. And, and some of it was kind of hippy dippy. So uh-huh. we, all, we all shared a lot of, you know, once, and certainly once Tony became part of the that band, yeah. I don't know, it was, a, it was a few months before we got him that we yeah. were together, but not, not too long. He came in pretty early there. Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, we all we all had like a mind for like aggressive, you know, sounding music. But we were all, you know, kind of fruity too. You know, like we we also liked you know the extreme opposite of that. So mm-hmm. um, you know, we it wasn't that hard for us to find like kind of common ground, and we we like to strike a balance between complicated, you know, like a bunch of parts and some interesting rhythms, uh, but not. But we still want to, you know, have like a rocking house and a groove and, and you know, yeah. have the audience come along with us and not be like, oh, what are these scientists trying to do? <laughs> right. You know, so, so we all had the same kind of mentality around balancing those things. So we were able to make a lot of uh, progress early on there, you know. So I hope I'm not, I, I hope that no one gets a, either you love the band or you hate the band, but is, is, <laughs> Are bands like Guns N' Roses an influence, you know? Is that something that you listen to and like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, when that first Guns N' Roses record came out, it was fucking everywhere, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a great, again, like, I think that's a, it's a, the first record, Appetite, was a great record, but it wasn't like we were, I certainly, I don't think any of us were referencing those things for like, this is what we want to do. I, yeah. I, really, I stick by the fact, at least for myself, I felt like we were playing off each other. I felt mm-hmm. like we all knew, we all had these influences, you know, Peter had, whether it was like classically trained, metal influences and stuff, P- Tony comes from Whiplash. You know, like, had, you like, say Guns N' Roses, like to us, like Aerosmith was like our Guns N' Roses. Right, you know? fair, right. So, fair, okay. Yeah, that, that's a good way to reference it. I mean, so <laughs> when, when we got together, like I was listening to stuff like Peter had already, one of the songs he had was Powered. Um, and oh I remember, my God. So, so I just was in the room. Peter's like, this is how it got. I'm doing this, you know? And I'm like, okay. And one of the things I think that's interesting about um, the Into Another Sound, um, at least from my playing with Peter, is that I think that he, when he does certain uh, riffs or things on guitar or vice versa, me on drums, we match that. 
So there's a lot of little nuancey stuff that instead of, I'm just going to do this fill by myself, yeah. theater will follow it or he'll do something in those records that I would follow. And Tony might take a piece of that. So we were doing this thing where like, we'll go along, we'll play this groove. And then all of a sudden we're doing this thing where we follow each other. We're, we're, we're doing these riffs and that kind of just kind of developed a natural style over the first like uh, three records from the, uh, uh, the first record, the creepy EP and ignore us all have that sort of style. One of of the influences that once it was brought to my attention, um, I was like, Oh my God. Yes. From our friend of the pod, Jeremy uh, from insight and handsome. Right. Jeremy, um, yeah. Jeremy, he said uh, into another was almost like a love letter. I, I feel like I'm paraphrasing a love letter to David Bowie. Like there's yeah. a lot of like, like David Bowie, especially I think maybe in Ignorus okay. a little more. Yeah. But, I um, mean, I, again, like, I, I would say like, I know that, you know, I was a fan and Richie would probably better, you know, uh, take this question, but you know, he, he really liked Bowie a lot, but I don't think he was, again, he was trying to emulate anything lyrically. He just is a, a, a really good lyricist. And I think he, you know, art was already pretty developed with a lot of stuff as a lyricist. And um, I'm happy to that, Jeremy. I think that, that certain people felt that way about Into Another and, you know, to have your own sort of, this reminds me of this, or I have this as my takeaway. And that's great. But I don't think that it necessarily speaks for what we were doing, but if it makes people Jeremy, happy. Jeremy traveled with us for a while. He cracked yeah. us up so much. Yeah, he's awesome. He was, he was like, uh, he's very Put excited for us. chicken to, chowder to yeah. make fun of us. He's excited for us to get to uh, ignore us. I said, we'll have to have him on for like a, a episode. But um, listen, uh, I was on Wikipedia last night, which can be helpful sometimes. And Wikipedia told me that Richie Birkenhead before Underdog was in a uh, rockabilly band. This is true. Right? And then from there, went to Underdog uh, and Youth of Today. And then after that, you decided to make a new band and you and Drew uh, cut a three song demo and started building into another. So, what was like the impetus of saying, I want to do this new and Drew, I want to really touch and, and continue to use this word that you just used in describing into another, and that's unique. Because in the Revelation Records entire catalog, there's not really anything that sounds like into another self-titled, let alone any of the into another records. So what what were you and Drew specifically thinking when you met up with each other and were like, we're gonna make this record, we're gonna make this demo, we're gonna uh recruit these guys who aren't hardcore kids and we're going to make this fucking new band called into another i i think what we i think he and i were both part of something um wonderful that we loved and appreciated very much um but i think we both creatively felt like it was time to do something without any any presuppositions any uh without trying to fit into a genre or a scene Exactly. Uh, yeah. It, it was so. It wasn't like it, it wasn't even like we articulated the word unique so much. It was just like let's just combine our creative forces and just you know without uh, without trying to fit into a framework of any kind. And and that was the result. There, you know, there there was 
we did have a sense of humor about ourselves. We knew we would we would either be loved or hated. Um, and and but that that was fine with us. You know, we didn't we weren't you know we weren't trying to uh, to conform to to anything at all. So and 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 that was the result. And 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 as far as the way uh, Peter and Tony came along, it wasn't like we said let's look outside of hardcore. It was literally the way nature took its course and. Uh, you know, Peter's significant other at the time said, I want you to meet my boyfriend. He's the greatest guitar player you'll, you'll ever hear. And she was right. And, uh, and shortly thereafter, Tony came along. So it was just kind of a, just an organic formation. But the, the, but the impetus was, was trying to do something um, with zero conformity to, to anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, coming from like a place of, you know, trying to fit into this formula, this hardcore formula, I think we were both exhausted by it. And we're like, let's do something that we don't have to, you know, have this framework that, that we can only do this, and we could do this and, you know, that's it. So, and again, um, it was just, um, it was just good luck that we found a couple of people who could help us, you know, get to that, that place with, of creativity. And certainly like starting the, the first record, um, I, I'm trying to remember it, who it was that suggested Don Fury. If, Richie, if you were like, let's go to Don's. But that was a, a good part of getting, being able to get experimental with that first record as well. Cause that was a good place to, I think, to have like this, you know, formative record. Yeah, the way that started was I ran into him and he's like, what are you up to? And I was like, oh, you know, Drew and I are, are uh, doing a new band. He was like, "Hey, man, you know, come to the studio." It was just, it was just that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Richie, I have a question for you, lyrically and vocal-wise. What was your thoughts for what you wanted to do different with Into Another as opposed to Underdog? Like, what, uh, you know, what bands did you think I want to try to do this or put, you know, pull from this and that to to create the sound that? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there again. Uh, for me, Underdog was it was just it was pure, you know, it was angst and it was anger, it was, it was aggression, it was a lot of other things too. I mean, we weren't, you know, we were, I think, multifaceted for a hardcore band. But but there again, it was mostly it was there was there was less sort of introspection. It was more sort of, you know, um, just in your face, um, not a lot of subtlety or analogy or anything else. It, as far as influences, I mean, I never consciously try to channel anyone. And my influences are so broadly ranging, you know, it would be ridiculous to, I mean, it's, it would be a salad that would include everyone, everyone from, you know, HR, Rob Halford, George Jones, uh, you know, uh, Elvis Presley, Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent, uh, Lux Interior. I mean, it was just, you know, I, so I, I don't even know. That's beautiful because I can I, see all this. And, and, I, uh, <laughs> and I, Rich, um, yeah, Richie, when did you discover that you could hit some of those notes? Yeah. Um, I guess uh, shortly after puberty finished its course, <laughs> um, sit, sitting at my mom, I would sit at my mom's piano and hit all the keys above middle C and and, and try to hit those notes so, so were you trained as a, as a singer then? As, as a kid like did you sing in like choir or i i sang on the captain kangaroo show which which really dates me that's like saying you know the howdy yo show. i remember captain kangaroo. i remember captain kangaroo that's sick okay um i sang a song about about rope 
Um, I sang a, a, a song about waiting. Um, I don't know. I sang myriad songs about things that concern little children. And you never stopped. <laughs> I never. From today, Captain Kangaroo. Tomorrow, the world. Ropes and waiting. See, I was I was hoping that um, one of the influences, which I think maybe happens more with Underdog, but I've been trying to mention Scream in every episode. <laughs> so. <laughs> and actually, Underdog toured with Scream for a summer. That was really fun. Oh, nice. So there we go. Uh, yeah, yeah, Pete Stahl, all, all, love, love that band. So, Peter, you wrote Powered and had Powered written, and did you have a vocal pattern in mind, or is that something that you just passed no, on? And no, I had the I had the the music part when I when I was in high school. A friend of mine was a singer, and he he had different lyrics. Uh, uh, they were more about like going out at night, uh, um, and I just <laughs> sat down and wrote the song with him one uh, one day. Okay. And it never went anywhere. And then when I met these guys, it was like, oh, I have a song. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. So you were like, you were just sitting on that music for how long? Like seven or eight years or something. Oh, wow. That's wild. It was cool. That first record, there was a lot, just like we had this giant cauldron that we were just all throwing shit into. Like, I mean, when we got Tony, you know, he had some just amazing bass lines that we used for like splinters. Um, uh -huh. was was great. Richie actually, I think, had the beat for While I Die. So like, there was all this kind of crossover of, between each other of stuff that we were doing. I remember being like um, at rehearsal. I think we had a spot at this place called the Music Building up on Eighth Avenue and Thirty Eighth Street, and we just go up there and just play together, play like all this different type of stuff, crazy stuff, stuff in odd times that I had to start learning because I'm coming from this hardcore straight up, you know, two, four fast beats, yeah. just mosh groove, stuff like that. And all of a sudden I'm playing with these two guys that are like, they can play in seven and five. And I'm trying to make these things in seven and five sound like they can groove and they don't sound totally unnatural. And how do we come out of this? And it was an amazing kind of like test of like my own, uh ability for a very long time like how to how to play with these guys you know and that i think that kind of like test of creativity made those, made those albums really cool. i had i remember in high school there was some kids that weren't into hardcore at all didn't know revelation and they loved into another and they drum they were drummers like the one uh guy i know he's like a like he's a drum teacher for a living like he does drums and they even were like, yo, this into another drummer is fucking sick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got one. True. Yeah. Yeah. That was two. That was two. Yeah. So, but even that's like, cool. so like they, you know, so they noticed yeah, even true. when we were young. Yeah. So, but I, I think you really came into your own. I mean, the Bold EP, but then even this, the Bold EP was a jump above Speak Out. And then to this. this drumming wise is like a jump up from the bowl like you're in college now like you were yeah. in high school and now right. into another I literally college. like yeah i was talking to richie and my senior year about let's do this and richie's like well we gotta wait till you get out of high school so like yeah when i started <laughs> into another i or, or did the demo i think i was 17 uh wow. started into another 18 but and, and again i was a lot of it was keep catch up for me especially playing with like people on that level which was really important for me because i think it helped just talking about you know, performance and playing, man. Like I went through a lot of stuff with Into Another in terms of trying to learn different time signatures, trying to play correctly, playing to a metronome, finally like on stuff like all that, that learning process, uh, 
you know, happened within to another. So, so there was a lot of just like challenges going on step by step with that band for all of did us. You take any, did you take any lessons like at that point? Really, not at that point, earlier on. Earlier? Yeah. So while we have him here, we're joined by Mr. Jordan Cooper. And Jordan, the last time I saw you at the Rev office, you had a story for me about how you, about how Into Another was signed to Revelation. You, can you pass that on to the rest of the class? I don't remember the story that you're talking about, oh. but was it about Purcell? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, Purcell, would, he was very uh, into the, the demo or, or whatever practices that he'd seen. And going back to what Drew was saying, like the influences were so, uh, like the, there was no direct influence that you could name. So I don't even remember what he was telling me about the band. He was just, saying you know we have to put this out you have to hear it and um to give you an example of what purcell's ability of describing music was like back then he told me that the mike judge solo record was a blues record (laughs) uh, when i actually got the record uh i was surprised that it was it was very different from what i thought of as blues but the lyrics were kind of bluesy, I guess. But anyway, Into Another was sort of the same thing. Purcell's describing it. The record comes in and it's like, it's nothing like, you know, I, I, I don't even remember what I was expecting, but I remember that it, it was something that was unexpected. And the reaction also, like you say it was love or hate from hardcore fans. I, I think it it just went over a lot of people's heads. And even musically, like I, I look at, like it, it took until Brian and um, Reed joined into another and they were sort of dissecting the music and then explaining it back to me that I really started to understand what went into the band. And they're, you know, the, the band members themselves aren't gonna, you know, toot their own horns or talk about how complicated their playing or writing is. But if you listen to some live tapes where the mix is particularly bad, you might hear the bass way up front and you hear this you know, like no verses, every, every verse changes, like the choruses are all, and fans are probably familiar with that, but I, I just didn't realize it until way, way after the fact. Anyway. And then yeah, we, you, we like you to were, stitch a lot of detail into our, uh, into our- A lot of stitching. Lot yeah. Of you also told me a story of the art for the record being put together by Richie um, at a, a very early on uh, form of internet cafe, right? I mean, Richie, we, we would, we would, yeah, go meet up at like, what was that place on 23rd it was, No, it wasn't 23rd. We would, it was on the corner of 6th Avenue and 8th Street, right where Greenwich Avenue began. Oh yeah, It was on the second too. floor. It was, it was in the days of desktop publishing and 44 megabyte SideQuest discs that were, you know. <laughs> those big like eight track looking things. Yeah, it was, it was like a, a king bed cushion sized, um, you know, d- data drive, storable data drive. And when they upgraded it to 88 megabytes, we thought we were just living in the future. You know, that was, <laughs> wow, that was so incredible. We, we, were, we were inside of Tron at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah. Um, yeah, we learned, we learned now non-existent uh, software applications like Aldis Freehand um, and, and, and stitch that together. 
But Javier, you had photos of the of the layouts, right? It was like cool, st- robotic kind of stick figure versions of everybody yeah. in the band. It, it looks, looks sick, like, though. It looks like MS Paint, almost like placeholders for all of the photos that go in the insert. It's uh, we'll post it on our Instagram, but it 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 looks okay. very primitive, but also like what I what I appreciate about that, and it says in the insert here is art direction and layout by into another produced by into another like you guys just fucking took the reins and took charge and you're like this is the record that we want to make this is what we want it to look like this is what we want it to sound like and well even even (laughs) if the even if the technology didn't quite quite match up like you made it happen yeah yeah that was uh, that was the first record that we released that was done uh you know a color cover done using a computer and it was cool that it was done by the band because it, it took us a few years or two more releases before we bought a Mac. And Richie okay. helped me buy the Mac. And, you know, there were, there were a few places in the city that could print out those huge gels. Uh, I was going to say, so this one was the, the first one where you had the Mac. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Rev Mac. Yeah. Uh, I, this is also the first Rev record with the Huntington Beach address on it so uh you know porcel came out to live with jordan jordan signed into another and so this is like really is the start of a new era uh you know we we've talked about different eras and there's kind of like a transition but now you're in huntington beach you have uh max you have computers you have all kinds of crazy stuff so it's like really really cool to see that evolution we're in revelation summer (laughs) <laughs> like that's what we called it. And by the way, summer. by the way, just uh, just want to say every every into another record was laid out on a map. Everyone. Oh, nice. Um, in, whether it, only the the first one were was laid out on maps that were leased, you know, by the hour. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's ne- there's never no other operating system has. Uh, what happened, Richie? He's oh, frozen in time. Okay. <laughs> So I have a question when Richie joins back um, about the star. Can you give us the origin of the star that we all know and love? I have this tattooed. It's the first tattoo that I ever got was he into another star. And so I want to know where it came from and who created that. Richie had the idea of because he noticed there were 11 letters in into another. And he called me one day and said, Hey, uh, can can you make a star? Because uh, where I worked, I had a Mac, um, like an SE or something, one of those ancient little boxes, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. And I I laid it out by hand, you know. I didn't use a computer to plot the points. I I just kind of made a grid and plotted them out. And then we had a little, you know, a little vector uh, computer uh, file that we could then stretch and you know make the change the colors and the uh, how how fat the lines are and we just kind of started goofing around with it but Richie how did you come up with the idea in the first place um so yeah I mean the the number 11 was just kind of um popping up everywhere and and while while I'm a person who's not not at all superstitious I I I am someone who's also always been fascinated with numerology and you know various ways of thinking throughout uh, the eons and, and cultures, and uh, and eleven was just at the forefront of my mind at that time. Um, 
and yeah, I just I was just just called Peter. I just felt compelled to call Peter and have him create, uh, you know, as perfectly as possible an eleven pointed star, and then just uh, it just became the emblem of the bat. Did you call it true? So we're all wearing the Star of Horus, Child of a New Eon. Yep. <laughs> it's a seal of Horus. It's, it's that hemdecagram, which is exactly. it's rare, but it works its way into various yeah. systems of, uh, of magic and other things. You've all got a magical emblem on you. Awesome. Did you did you have the name into another when you had the three song demo tape? Like, was that what? Who came up with the name? Uh, the name I, I came up with on a subway platform saying with Drew, we had been brainstorming names for a while. Some of them I, I'm, I just won't repeat. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, you know, being a, being a, a, a I, I was, so I was, I was thinking about names that could be interpreted various ways, including, you know, with, with sexual connotations or spiritual connotations, mm -hmm. with, um, with metaphysical connotations and those two words just you know they kept making their way into my uh into my brain and i, I just we were standing on a subway platform and i was like what do you think about the name into another and, and i can't remember if Drew liked it immediately or if we both just pondered it for a while but it stuck yeah we, we had been trying for for quite a while i remember richie and i were looking for a rehearsal space and we we were going all these places and we finally found, you know, Terry's <laughs> rehearsal space. And uh, she's like, well, what's the name of the band? And we said, Ordeal, because we, we had been like struggling. <laughs> I would have been in Ordeal, yeah. And a place to rehearse. And, so, uh, but um, it, yeah, I remember, uh, it must've been, I guess, shortly after after you, you thought of it. Yeah, we were walking, I think the three of us were walking down the street and you said, hey, what do you think of the name into another? I was like, yeah, because it was like a relief to, to have a name that we didn't, puke on as soon as we heard yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, he, he was insisting on the name the, the weeping boils and i and, you know and i just I, I'm, I'm joking i'm joking um so, i wanted to ask about the uh the some of the lyrics um my friend chris wyatt he brought to my attention he said to ask you about underlord um was that um, a reference to Dungeons and Dragons with a Halister black cloak, or is or no? There we go. Sorry, my I, I, my my body gives off very powerful magnetic forces. That it's so it's hard for me to uh, to handle these devices, these primitive devices. Um, no, Underlord's just purely autobiographical. It's devoid of hyperbole, exaggeration, or contrivance. I like that. I wanted to uh, ask. No, it's uh, yeah. Not, Nothing to do with Dungeons and Dragons, but a bit to do with uh, with my old pal Alistair. Okay, and the occult and stuff, which you know, I, I, that's cool too. Yeah, you know, I'm goth. I, I smoke cloves. <laughs> <laughs> I don't smoke cloves. I never have. I'm still straight edge. I'm still straight edge. Never smoked a clove. Uh, I had a question, Richie. Is there a lyric? Is there a theme that goes through the record? I know that you're parents wrote musicals is there like a common thread lyrically from start to finish of the record or is it just individual tracks you mean for each particular needs? album sure um that's it's a good question I, I think that, <laughs> the, that first yeah. album uh no i mean that that first album has you know it has a lot of sort of um 
I, I think most of what I write is is kind of um, allegory. You know, I'm, I'm writing about one thing, although it appears I'm writing about another. And and the the kind of the 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 tool I used a lot in the first album was was the occult. Mm -hmm. um, other each album each album is very very different. Um, for example, Ignorus lyrically is just basically me trying to strip myself bare and make myself as vulnerable as possible and just it's just a lot of stream of consciousness stuff i wrote in the wee hours of the morning and and just really just trying to just dump my emotions and my you know my my musings and everything onto uh onto paper but yeah each one i think has the cohesive aesthetic thread or maybe a, a similar kind of loose thesis you know or theme but but not not like a rock opera, although you know where it has a narrative. I, I would I would love to do that, guys. Pete, Drew, um, if you're down, let's let's do a rock opera. Opera? I'm into operas, man. Oh, I'm into opera. Do it. I had a question about the lyrics. Uh, a lyric on "While I Die." There's that passage where you say, "Green me, loving purple you." I for some reason when I was younger, I always thought that that was a sample from a movie and but it took me a while to realize that that's actually part of the lyrics in the song right yeah that's that's that is part of the lyrics of the song um, and and uh so that's and colors it sounds some um, like that's very experimental so when you're like recording that with don fury you know was that a a, a big leap for all of you to to do something kind of weird and spacey like that no, I, it, it, at least it didn't feel that way to me. It just, yeah. That was the overall feeling of the record was to be weird and spacey. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a journey. It was like you put this record on and you go into this weird ethereal land of like, it starts out like you're, the, the interest, the robot whales is like a portal. Yeah. This portal and you come out the other side and you're in this record right through Dare Me. And I get, I not just, you know, get all crazy, like you're pretentious about it, but it's just fun to do a record where you're not, forced to think about okay what's the hit song you know you're going mm -hmm. like hey let's do a creative journey with this record and 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 not be afraid also to do like corny shit like you know like a, like we're gonna do um like hit a box or a or run change like mic up change in tony's pocket and like you know or hit a triangle on like uh you know on a song and, and you like, did all you did all those things on this record yes exactly it was like we <laughs> uh, weren't afraid. we just had fun doing all and by the way, you know, I think at the same time that it was just coming naturally to us and we were being naturally creative, we were uh, fully conscious of like, you know, the sort of like Spinal Tap-esque, mm -hmm. uh, you know, fun that we were all having too. But, but yeah. I, I think it was, it was a result of just we felt completely unbridled by trying to fit into a scene or a genre. So it was just... Uh, that was, was what like, I was going to say. It had to be freeing, like creatively. <clears throat> You know, from being in this, because like we love hardcore, everyone in here does, but at the yeah, same time, it's, it's very, it can be very limiting for someone trying to be creative, because a lot of times if you think too much out the box, like, you know, Drew, you touched on it, it when we talked uh, before with Bold, like you knew like, hey, you get to a certain point where you turn the corner yeah. and it's not hardcore anymore. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of backlash of that EP and I was like just... I realized very quickly, um, I can't go anywhere with this. People aren't going to be 
and you like they're not they're not going to try to open their ears to this i've got to do this another way you know and like we are conscious of just like let's not worry about you know being deprecating or, or just being experimental and, and you can't be experimental unless you're willing to be deprecating yeah. So I, I think I think it's important though. It's really important to say that I I love I also I love individual genres of music. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to hear the Ramones, you know, bringing in synthesizers and a string section and trying to be you know like they were already getting too a, a little too out of the box for me with end of the century. You know, with, I, I just uh, I, I there's there's something great about genres i you know i love roots rockabilly which is why i was in a band where i was trying to you know, sound like eddie cochran i love I, I love individual genres of music we don't we're not casting aspersions against genres of music but i think that you know where we were chronologically you know and um you know what we did was not a, a negative reaction to hardcore we just i think drew and i when we started you know just the, just the two of us um i think we just didn't want to feel confined or constrained anymore to to a type we you know i still love hardcore just that's a really good point though because i think with the with, with that with like the first record we're talking about like coming how, how to do it we're trying to find some aspect like what what is our sound what are we doing here like here are all these different ideas um and like what you're saying it's not about trying to like um trying to run away from any particular genre or try to be defined by one but it's like that's our first record and we had a lot of um a lot of individual style between the four of us and we're trying to find out actually what is our sound what are we yeah. doing i don't know that I mean, maybe people would say like, um, like Ignorus might have been the pinnacle of that, but we were on our way to try to find out like what, what that was. And I was going to say too, like, I don't, I didn't want it to, not that me, per, to me, this doesn't come across as like a, a screw you to hardcore. Like, it just sounds like something new and different. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't sound like this reactionary thing. Like, oh, well, hardcore has gotten this so like we're doing this like it's to me it sounds really organic because i can still hear those little pieces of hardcore like i hear the later bad brains that that groove and like the in the guitars and stuff that maybe you weren't going to get from a rock band that didn't come from hardcore like well, peter, gonna... peter peter and tony were like you know like in like into a whole different thing is like that was equally as important than the hardcore thing right i mean peter yeah, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, t Tony's band, you know, really wasn't that far from hardcore as far as like, you know, bass playing, for example. I mean, right. it's very, really pretty similar, you know, hard driving, you know. Uh, so I think he, uh, he fit into that pr pretty readily. And, uh, right. and, you know, like I was saying before, I, I like, a, I like a lot of, you know, punk bands, I, you know, hardcore, I wasn't that familiar with the, the, New York hardcore scene in particular, but you know, generally that kind of music. Uh, so uh, it wasn't that that different for me. Um, uh, and these guys, you know, were, were like I was saying before, very open-minded about you know all of the kind of the stuff associated more with rock and less with like the real extreme hard, hardcore. Uh, and you you went to school for guitar, you said. Yeah, I went to college. Uh, I was a classical guitar major for two years. Where Where did you go to school? You... In Pennsylvania. Okay. Oh. 
Peter, I have a question. So what did you think of the reaction that Into Another would get when you were playing these songs? Because I've been to Into Another shows where people kind of mosh hard to these songs. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, 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 it's very rewarding. Yeah. When we, cause uh, you know, we, we would spend a lot of time, uh, you know, certainly in those early days, really detailing the songs like we mentioned a couple of times and, uh, and we were very conscious, especially Richie, uh, being a frontman, was very conscious of how people would react. So we would, you know, we would kind of correct ourselves if we got a little too, you know, too cockamamie, awkward into our into our you know musical journey, and we'd uh-huh. pull back and say, "Wait, this has to work in a room." Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, we, uh, yeah, no, uh, it was it was uh, thrilled to play to uh, our audiences. I still am. Uh, that, that was that was more of the yeah sorry i was gonna say that was more of the like the old keep it simple stupid that i would have to tell myself all the time too and just be you know just less kind of like genesis or kraut rock and and, and more you know um, more mullet you know american good old american mullet that's right the thing that's crazy is that for all of this, like, you know, people thinking like, oh, punk rock, you know, let's, you know, it's, it's, it's so underground and blah, 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 you know, like, you, you know, we're going to play this music and all of a sudden everyone says, oh, you guys are sellouts, you know, because like mm-hmm. we chose to take this route that was like, ex- like for us. Just that like, was true. <laughs> it was crazy for like for years. And like we're, we're literally everywhere we would go, especially like coming from, you know, um, playing in bands like either today or bold or whatever man uh-huh. people i say all the time like you know you re- how do you feel about selling out and it's like you know that's a mind-blowing question when you're trying to create a music that you feel is like tr- you know dear to your heart and you're playing stuff that's you know that you don't think is um you know just uh you're not copying a, a you know uh something that's out there currently you're trying to create something new so it's kind of it was that that also can't be like understated that um yeah, I mean, it's it was really annoying. <laughs> you know what's weird is I'd never heard anybody say that. I always thought that Into Another just coexisted and played with, like, harder, hardcore bands. To me, it seemed like just still kind of a, not a hardcore band, but I, I would pick up fanzines that had pictures of Into Another next to Snapcase and pictures yeah. of yeah, all Falling. It wasn't separate in my world. What do you also the, the one the one thing I'll say about about that and, and I don't know if it's it, it you know in this age of, of social media and and you know and, and the internet that has really revealed you know the the sort of rampant narcissism that was among a lot of us in the scene that was supposed to be so nonconformist and anti-mainstream and everything at, at least now we, we're really seeing who the the most sort of self-important, self-celebrating, self-congratulatory people are. And, you know, that we, we were never, you know, for us, Into Another was a creative labor of love. It was never a pursuit of, of fame or ego satiation or anything like yeah. that. And, and so, I didn't get it, you know, as, as a guitar player who plays leads. I mean, sometimes I would get that, you know, kind of, oh, these, these are cool, you know, thing from people but but that, that really wasn't that widespread mostly uh it was it was kind of exciting in our in our little uh you know uh, um uh battleship van going around uh foisting our our you know rock on on these hardcore audiences uh it was kind of a little thrilling pursuit for us to see if they would like go along with us you know 
And they, we, and they generally would. We didn't really get snubbed too, too many times. No, it was, yeah. So it was interesting to, to, I don't know if we were like opening people's minds a little, you know, again, not to like pat ourselves in the back, but yeah. I, think, uh, I think the audiences were generally pretty receptive, even though we were, you know, it was me and Tony with our long hair and. Uh, it opened you know, my mind for sure. That's a definite. Well, well that's, a, that's a good thing about it. I feel like if nothing else that hopefully, you know, that was part of, of not just playing music, but to kind of advance the perception of being, you know, having a, a bigger scene to get to, to have people together. And you, we create, you know, I think at that time too in New York, there was a lot, you know, we had contemporaries doing that as well. Certainly Quicksand was doing stuff, you know, in that, in that vein. And, you know, Helmet was doing stuff that was, you know, crossing hardcore lines into other things. You know, it, there's, there was a lot of, I'm not trying to put ourselves on any, you know, level or par with, with these other bands, you know, it's everyone, they're all their own bands, but we definitely were trying to like create something bigger than this just generic scene, something where mm -hmm. you have more people interacting together. And who all of this, guys, all, hold on, all this being said, who did you play your first show with? Well, sort of White Zombie, but we, didn't we have one sort of like test run in we, we played a, a, we played a test, yeah, yeah, Connections in New Jersey. We had our, our own show. <laughs> right, that's right. And I don't think there was even another band. That was a dress rehearsal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dress it was rehearsal. A rehearsal, um, a rehearsal in a back room of a bar. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and then White Zombie at the Pyramid in 91. Yes. So that's sick. I mean, yeah. on one hand, you're like, there's this scene in new york city of like guys who are starting to outgrow hardcore a bit you know like you said quicksand burn and then white you burn. also have like i wouldn't even know how to describe white zombie at that time like hard rock like it's not what it turned into like at, at that point rock or something. Yeah. yeah so it's like you are already at from the the jump crossing boundaries and genres and just like, hey, we're going to play with this band. We're going to play with this band. We're going to borrow from this band. We're going to play with, you know, whatever it is. And I think that that is such a, uh, a benefit for Into Another, being able to not be pigeonholed into any of these things. Mm. I was going to say, uh, you know, I don't know if you know what Don's uh, studio was like, but, you know, when we were talking before about sort of our creative uh, state of mind, uh, you know, it'd be in the middle of the day and we'd go down into this, you know, Manhattan uh, uh, steel door basement, you know, and it's just super dark and, and I think everything was painted black and it, it was like going into a little, you know, uh, black mind bubble together and, you know, it, it was, uh, I guess, a good, uh, you know, black. Yeah, right on slate yeah. for us to to work on you know right. and it was very comfortable don was super easy to be around normal none of this kind of you know don't touch that studio vibe right. and yeah, uh right on yeah we went there a lot and it was just like kind of comfortable and we were still kind of learning about each other even at that point so even with the mixes like we were hands-on that those mixes for because um, it wasn't an automated board, we were doing like most of the passes for those songs together as part of the music. You know, when we do that, like, yeah, you know, all of us have different fingers on what you wanted to like manipulate. Yep. Yeah, 
Yeah. So like then you only have one shot, you got to get it right. So we're, you know, I think it's kind of a common story for pre-automated boards, but that was part of the process too. And, and Don was great with that in terms of letting us go free and okay, here, create your, create your sound palette now in the mix as well. You know, that was cool. Drew, did Don, was Don giving you any feedback? Like, this is awesome. Was yeah. there any sort of, you know, I mean, it's so cool. different from what he'd seen you do in the past. Was he? Yeah, no, he was easy. Like Peter said, I mean, I remember, um, you know, in that, that little drum chamber he had down there, the fish <laughs> tank, like looking through into the other room. And, you know, I could tell when he's grooving, like he's, I watch him once in a while and he's got this groove going on. I remember he was cracking me up during while I die. Cause he just said he, his, uh, his thought about while I die was it reminded him of riding a camel through the desert. <laughs> and so I'd watch him do this groove. And I know if he was still moving through the verses, then I was on because that, that groove, there's a lot of parts in that man. And there wasn't mm -hmm. like editing. We weren't editing. Those are straight takes. Yeah. So I, I had to like be thinking like, okay, I gotta go to this part. I gotta do that. And I gotta keep a groove going. So Don was good in terms of tempering if I was on point or not. And he'd tell me, you know, he'd be like, oh, okay, or yeah, that's, that's good. You know, that was before. When we, when we did Robot Whales, uh, um, Drew, Tony, and I were in that little uh, drum aquarium, uh, and we were all, and I had a um, a drum head, you know, not attached to anything. I think Tony also had one a different size, mm -hmm. and then Drew was sitting at the drum set, and uh, and when Don rolled it, <laughs> hit the floor yeah. really hard right away because he knew we were going to flip it backwards. Right. And uh, Tony and I were shaking the uh, drum heads to get like this rattle sound. Yeah, we do like a lot of weird, like weird stuff like that because we were doing like back. We, yeah, right. We did the backwards uh, back masking on that. Yeah. And then Rich, you went through like a harmonizer for for like all the the vocal stuff for Robot Whales too, right? I think we used uh, the, the old uh, Roland GP8 uh, right. Robot Whales thing, and we like. Screamed through it. We screamed into my guitar pickups. <laughs> yeah, well, just, just to be, they they didn't have a, a patch called that. That was a that was. Richie made it. Yes, Richie made the robot whales patch. That's what it was, but, right? Uh, that was your patch, the robot whales. That's what it, was, yeah, it, it was. His it was, GPA it was that, that I bought it from. Him. <laughs> what it was a GPA, and I think it wasn't there also like an H three thousand or something in there. No, yeah, we the, didn't have so that. Push yeah. for the next. Okay. Richie, how was recording the vocals for this? What do you remember about doing them? Um, I, I love Pete's uh, description of it. It's this little black mind bubble. It, it did kind of feel like that. Um, I, ju I just would have this uh, weird sort of ritual. I, I, I just like, I would fast for a while. I wouldn't eat. I'd get myself into like a kind of a, a like hyper clear mind state and just you know go stand in front of the mic close my eyes and and roll yeah but um i do remember it's funny i remember going there and leaving each day but like my time in the studio it's still and even shortly after we wrapped doing that record it's it's all kind of a blur i think because of that you know at least that doing my vocals is all kind of a blur um i remember other things more clearly so, like, you sort of felt like it was uh, a home for you because you you knew Don like a friend, right? Yeah, yeah. Drew and I both knew Don. Uh, yeah, I knew him from the hardcore scene very well. So, yeah, it was very comfortable doing it there. I mean, look, it, it was it the, the greatest, you know, was it the greatest recording studio? Uh, 
technically or as far as equipment went. No, but it was it was a vibe and it was a mood and it was it was kind of fitting that that's where we made our our first record. Cummings in of the studio of capturing the sound. You know, the recording is clear. Like he didn't mess. You know, he didn't mess anything up by not having you know more effects or whatever, right? Well, no, it's not more effects. It, really, what, you know, so what you get from having, say, like a big all discrete Neve console and, you know, two inch shape running at 30 inches per second and all that stuff is you just get broader bandwidth. You get you get more sort of hypersonic highs and subsonic lows and uh, and everything in between a very, very broad bell um, acoustically. And that, that's really all there is. And then there's just, you know, there are things where like a like a, a, a German diaphragm mic that costs a lot of money is better than a, an SM58. And similarly with your voice, it captures more of the nuance and a broader bell. Um, but that's about it. Yes, you're right. It's, it, it captured clear sound. It's not- I think uh, so more than, more than West Beach when we did Creepy EP was really difficult. That, that just- Yeah, that was, that was, yeah. That, that was, you're right. That, that was just, uh, we had a lot of production limitations and challenges. Yeah. I mean, really, the, the way you the way you would hear the difference um, is just in a, in a sort of warmth, a natural warmth that that, uh, that happens in sound reproduction if you record with like you know an ideal room and ideal mics and ideal. That's yeah. So, one last so when one uh, question: Does anyone remember when you started and like wh when was the actual recording? I I don't remember that, and I don't remember if we wrote it if you wrote it on the liner notes or anything. So did nine like ninety? Yeah, thanks, Jordan, for giving us the opportunity. Then yeah, right. Hey, Just ninety one. Ninety one of the uh, it was spring ninety one. Came out in ninety one. We might have started it at the end end of ninety. I don't know. Yeah, wow. it came out yeah. in ninety one. Yeah, because I remember going to the studio when you were recording it. So that must have been before I moved out here. And then we were on the phone a lot when you guys were working right. in, uh, you know, 24-hour design, whatever that desktop publishing place was. You would. <laughs> yeah, I remember it being kind of pretty cold out. Like, I think we were doing probably either, like, the late winter of 91. And then and then they started doing the late, late, late 90, early 91. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah, I remember it being cold too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I I know that something was happening late ninety, early ninety one, and I don't know if that was writing or recording. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. But I think maybe recording somewhere. Maybe recording. We hit the road with the record too pretty quickly after we did it. Like we started touring, doing a lot of yeah. shows. Um, right out of the gate, we went to to Europe I think, for two months. Uh, my question. The fall of, of 90, fall of 91, I believe, was our first tour out there. So that was pretty soon right after the record came out. Um, and uh, I think we were trying to already write for the next thing while we were at the end of that record. Stuff like I'll Be Damned, The Other. I think we were already playing The Other at that point. Um, the two songs off Creepy EP that we didn't have yet, I think, were, um, were Without a Medium and Absolute Zero. Who did you tour with uh, when you went on these early tours the, for the first Maelstrom. album? <laughs> Maelstrom was in Europe. Austin yeah, the first time was with Maelstrom. Who, uh, in the U.S., we, I, don't, I think we headlined it first. I don't yeah. think we supported it first. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember who we brought. We played with Leeway uh, in Berlin. Leeway was one of the bands we played with out there. Um, 
Uh, Alice, Alice Donut is another band. I did you say Neurosis? Yeah, we did do a show with Neurosis in Holland. Yeah. We did like a little, like a little yeah. short tour with them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we did a few shows in a row with Neurosis. Yeah. Uh, oh, were, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you said, we did play with a lot. We were able to, for better or worse, we fit into a lot of different, uh, a lot of different uh, zones to play. So it, it didn't really. It kind of was hard to get a scene that we were able to focus on and play. And that's the good thing about being part of a genre. It's like people know, it's a hard thing we had with labels was that they couldn't, they didn't know what we were and they didn't want to touch us because they were like, you guys, your sound is too broad. You're, you know, you don't have a cohesive look. You have two guys that look like they're metal guys. And these two, and then like, you know, these guys that come from this other place and, it was it, that that was a little daunting, but we just kept persevering in terms of let's write the next thing and do it ourselves. And that was something I think that was really important for us is that we didn't stop because you know we weren't getting you know um, uh, a major label deal as quickly as our friends were. You know, See, I, when I hear this self-titled, I was and especially listening to it in prep for the episode and like really dissecting it. Mm -hmm. To me, I'm like, this should have been freaking huge. Like, I, I like, I'm thinking about 1991 mm -hmm. and stuff, and I'm like, you know, I was thinking Thanks. like, not that, not that you sound like them, but like, you know, Mother Love Bone got uh -huh. signed. Like, they were kind of, you know, in that feel yeah. a little bit, and then you know, we know they became Pearl Jam. Like, yeah. were any labels after this first record like already? Well, trying the, to the thing is, labels were going after you know. So there, you have there was a, a Seattle scene right there was a northwestern kind of music scene we we weren't part of a cohesive scene and i i think you know that th that's the one the one way in which we were sort of pigeonholed by our past was um that we we weren't naturally part of anything um where we had you know we, we were one band among many who were all peers in a scene Right. Um, you know, the, and and that's always been the case, right? Like labels went after bands in the late '60s and early '70s in, in Detroit, and, and labels, you know, there, there were there were all these local scenes. Uh, you know, Philadelphia, you know, like discos in the '70s. We we were never um, we were never part of one of those, which which is what we aimed, we aimed not to be part part of a, a genre or a scene. So and 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 in the only way in which that worked to our detriment you know, was coming out of a, a very identifiable scene. We, we weren't like fodder for record labels at that time when we first We were uh, some meetings as well. Like it wasn't like they had completely avoided us. It was just, right. it took us a while to find someone that, that understood what or thought they understood what we were about. Cause um, you know, I remember off and on, we'd be like, okay, we're going to go to this place. This for, you know, they listen to our records and tell us like, you know, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> really really it was it was it was david walter who right. first kind of noticed us and he was very much a part of the kind of emo scene you know and kind of like sort of american shoegaze kind of scene and he and um so it, it wasn't just like some label suit that noticed us at first and, and we were talking to other labels but he was the first one who also had like a foot in in the sort of hardcore post-hardcore world who, right who, Notice that we were doing something very, very different. I have a, a question for Jordan. Um, Jordan is into another, especially if you count Seamless because of the vinyl as a catalog number. Do they have the most actual rele rev releases for one band that's not like reissues or represses? I think so. No, there's like five 
I think yeah, I was nothing or or maybe either today. Um, but but yeah, into another was definitely you know, they have two full albums on that like, like Sensefield, Farside and Into Another were kind of like the an iceburn. Uh there there's several, but Okay, yeah, I was thinking iceburn do have a lot, but but um getting back to what you guys were just talking about, um the funny thing about and I think the nice thing about uh bands like into another uh is that there's there's a bunch of different bands who are not like each other but they, the the fa like the the fans that were into hardcore are somehow found into another they found sam i am they found sensefield farside and you know a lot of bands that you guys know about more than i do but um the you know into another was accepted you know it wasn't like the the bad religion album that was like the non-punk record and the, everyone just walked away from them. Oh, yeah. Everybody was, everybody had listened to hardcore and into another scratched enough of what we loved about hardcore, that itch. There was, there's so much there that everybody just heard it. And even if they didn't understand it, they still, they still liked it. So they, they had pretty broad support. Um, you know, obviously there's people that have an ax to grind and, and want to criticize any anything for whatever reason. But um, but I think I think also it came out at a time when people were open to experimentation and they're like, this is fucking weird and I love it. You know, it's like, I don't want to listen to the same youth crew record 10,000 times or whatever. Like, give me something new. So people were, were ready for it. And it had the familiar, familiarity of like the Rev Star. So it's like, oh, well, yes, now here's this new thing that I can check out. And so it, like, like Jason said, like it opened people's minds, you know, and um, they were ready for it. I don't know. I have to take exception to that on, on some level because mm. I feel like we did have like, like slogging away, trying to like get, there were those people who, who did, you know, on a smaller level were like, this is really cool. But there was a lot of people that we had to win over and try to like, we toured a lot. We played a lot of shows. We were on tour for months at a time going across the country, going to Europe to try yeah. to uh, make fans. And I feel like even with our newer shows, over the last like eight years or so, ten years since the Rev 25, I've had people say to me like, "Wow, I really get it's when now. I didn't understand it back then." Yeah, I, I've heard the same thing. And look, I think maybe when you're, when you're, the, I, I think there isn't a band on earth who has released anything that didn't have kind of trolls or like haters or bullies or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, with us, and we knew it was coming. But th yeah, there was definitely like mockery and vitriol from some directions. But we also, the people who did love us early on, like, yeah, like loved us, passionately loved us, and it was, and it was really, um, really humbling and moving. Um, yeah. You know, even if we even if we played to a small room with a small crowd, just the, what we got back from people emotionally was incredible. But 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 Drew's right. There were a lot of people. I, I I can't tell you. You know, I still to this day people will say, "God, I fucking hated you guys," and now you're like my favorite band. I love you. Know, I love you. I finally, you know, two years ago I got it or something. Yeah, <laughs> but, and I oh, didn't. Yeah. I didn't necessarily mean that it was like universally accepted. Mm -hmm. But but the people who were ready for it were like, yeah. "Fuck yeah!" I mean, even yeah. the, I'll say the very first time that I heard Ignorus, I was like. I'm not so sure about this. And then like second, 
third listen, seeing you guys, then it's like, oh, yes, now I get it. So it's like, not everybody, I'm not, I, I didn't mean to say that the whole entire hardcore scene or Revelation fan base was like, yes, this is the new shit. But with the timing of 91, 94, 95, 98, mm-hmm. there was a lot of um, room for experimentation and an opening of new, yeah. new doors. You know, I, I, I went through a similar thing after Take That broke up and I was like, Robbie's first solo album, I was like, I don't know. And I ran into him recently and I said, you know, I never, I didn't get it at first, but. But Richie, anyway, I read similar, it. Similar thing. Norm, Richie, I, I know Norman Brannon loves Take, take, take That, right. right, so. I read an interview with Richie where he was talking about, uh, you know, the first time you hear the Smiths, maybe you're not, you know, it's different. So mm-hmm. it kind of takes a while for you to uh, fall in love with the record. But after you do, you really do. It's sometimes it's hard right. for people to hear yeah. something for the first time that doesn't sound like what they expect it to hear. And that's mm-hmm. what I did with this self-titled record for sure. Yeah. It was, that's how I, was pictures- I, came out. I didn't like it that much, but it grew on me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I, I remember working at the pyramid and the DJ I think it was Ivan Ivan had a white label promo of this new band from England called the Smiths and you know we played this 12 inch single and at first I was like who is this whiny pretentious you know whatever and literally when when the when the pyramid closed I said can you play that song again and then I I just sat there with him and listened to it like five times in a row and, yeah. Sorry. Was it this charming man? Was that the? No, no. The first it was. Uh, hand in glove. Hand in glove. No, it wasn't. And actually, even uh, before. It's funny. I, I think I think even before the first release, there was a, a white label twelve inch that had a version of How Soon Is Now. But I. I mm. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll seek him out and ask him which song it was, but I remember becoming absolutely just like spellbound. And, uh, you know, the next day I, I, I called him. I was like, when's, when's an album coming out? And I was just <laughs> just like so incredibly excited. Um, but, but yeah, I hated it upon first listening. It's like I think that's acquiring a, of... a taste for a weird food. Yeah. yeah. yeah with, with a did lot you see the Smiths like play? That. On a separate note, yeah, did you see yeah. the play? Oh yeah, I saw them. Uh, what was that place? I saw them one weird show in like '85 with uh, the Divinals or something. Where was oh, that? Oh my god, the Pier. I saw the okay. Smiths at the Pier with with I think the Divinals opening before they had that silly single. They were just touch like, me. Um, I touch myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, long, long before that. But I, yeah, that's I saw, Mud I Honey, the, Mud Honey, and Divinals. I gotta mess that. I'm sick. I, I saw them in. I saw them in New York and, and uh, I saw them either on the West Coast or in, in the UK. But I, the show I remember the most was the show at the Pier, which was either 84 or 85. Or Damn, that's so, awesome. So listen, guys, uh, Peter and Richie, you've never been on our show. Drew and Jordan, we've had the lovely uh, opportunity to have before. So we do this thing on our show called Hot Tracks, where we go through the record that we're talking about and each of us on the call pick a hot track so it could be your favorite song if you're in the band could be your favorite song to play could be your favorite song to listen to if you're in an elevator and you're like hey i read this record uh you need to check out check out this track so we're going to go through each of us and talk about our hot tracks but before we get to the band i'm going to go straight to jason sorry to put you on the, i know you've been on the spot a lot today jason i have been i have been <laughs> but i'm going to so- put you on the spot 
So the track that got me, because I talked about my friend Peter, he played guitar in a band called Fairweather that Into Another played some shows with. And when this self-titled LP came out, he was singing its praises to me. I went to high school with him. He was like, you have to check this out. And so I, I listened to it. I didn't get it at first. I listened to it again. I still didn't get it. And then uh, the guitar in Splinters, dun, 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 that's what sold me. I was like, yo, and I know it's not what it's intended, but I felt like that is the sickest mosh part. And so for some reason that, that like opened my mind to saying, yeah, the, the rest of the record rips. But live, Underlord was always like, the song that everyone went berserk for. That's so I have fond memories of that, but um, Splinters is my hot track. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and jump in and nice. say Splinters is also my hot track, oddly enough. Um, I love the kind of delicate vocals that that start off the song, you know, the, the falsetto, and it's like, it's very sweet. And the accompanying video is in the woods, right? And <laughs> yo, that video is so cool. challenge. <laughs> and and it it the video goes along so well with it because it's like you're in this cold black and white forest and then when it gets into the heavy parts like Jason was talking about it cuts to like some live footage. Um mm-hmm. and that song is a uh, just like the rest of this record, but that is such a journey in that song, right? Going from the beginning part with like the the bass, like just the notes, the chords, and then the solo, like there's so many cool parts of that song and that is my hot track for this record. Awesome. Do you guys usually agree, you and Jason? I don't, I don't know if Jason and I have ever agreed. This might have no, been the I think we have once. Yeah. We did on another, on another episode. <laughs> yeah. Two, uh, two, two splinters so far. Jordan. Jordan. Uh, Jordan doesn't have a hot track. He's like, I love all of them. I can't, I can't <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't Robot <laughs> whales is his. <laughs> yes. Uh, Peter, since you're one of the new ones on the show, what's your hot track? Well, you know, I was going to say splinters too. because Just uh, say it. It's cool. Well, yeah. team splinters. It's just an interesting song. Uh, I, thought, I thought the recording of it came out pretty good. Um, it just... Uh, it's it's it became something more more finished and interesting than i than i think we uh would have expected putting it down i don't know uh it yeah it it has a, a broad range like you like you said from from you know <laughs> pixie light you know to to like really dark yeah so, <laughs> <laughs> totally and um and, and, yet, and yet there's like there's almost like a kind of a, a a pop good feel to it you know yeah what <laughs> what can you tell us about you said that the the video was a challenge to make well physically we we hauled all this heavy uh filming equipment out into the woods uh and it was you know it was kind of cold it wasn't that bad if you look closely you'll see uh like when i i play that little short guitar solo i'm barefoot in the creek <laughs> and and you see tony standing behind like a big uh, uh or in front of uh like a wall covered with uh long icicles yeah that's right so you, if you look closely you, you'll see how cold it actually was it, ha- um, it does it does it's physically challenging because we had to haul everything out there i, I forget how far it was but it, it wasn't like right by the road or anything it was that the first video that you guys made uh-huh. Yeah, I just wondered, uh, it was. And just regarding videos, just one little bit of interesting trivia. And I know we're talking about the first record now, but yeah. 
Uh, Tim Tim Ives, the guy who shot the actual DP who shot uh, both uh, Poison Fingers and um, Tail? what's the other one? Tim Tail. He, uh, Tail. Yeah. Um, is the uh, is this is the cameraman the, the DP for Stranger Things and a bunch of other series? And he's become like one of the top DPs in in the business. Oh, that's he did awesome. far better. He did far better at his craft. <laughs> we did career wise. His name is Tim Ives. I V E S. Yeah, Tim I was gonna say that yeah. is a rev fun fact right there. Yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. He, he's 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 a brilliant DP. Uh, I thought you were gonna I, chime I, in right there. Can you name a song off the first into another record? <laughs> <laughs> I could karaoke that whole record. <laughs> I would love. I would pay to see that. Jordan serving pizza and karaokeing into another. I should say a palindrome. That, yeah, he, that, that guitar part I made up as a little kid. I think I was like twelve or thirteen. Mm. And and you know we were we were just. You know, uh, asking each other like, you, you know, you got any material? And uh, I played that, and I think it uh, that was like our our little, uh, you know, hippie escape moment together there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, hot hot tracks. Uh, Kick it. You know, I, I'm I'm sort of involved in a bizarre love triangle with Splinters and While I Die. So Splinters. Uh, for me, yeah, it covers a very, very broad range emotionally and musically. And um, while I die, uh, whenever we perform it live, um, I literally—it's just—it's—it's it's absolutely like a, I feel like I go through like an, an exorcism or a transformation, and I become completely just spellbound. I like go away. Um, it's yeah. So while I die, I have. A, it's really visceral for me, and just as a, just as a song, musically and everything, I, I, I'd probably pick Splinters. I feel like the, the the riffs that I like kind of brought to that record, like Underlord and Jeremy and stuff. Um, I, I do like the just their kind of like pure like metal id of those riffs and stuff. But uh, but those two songs, Splinters and While I Die, um, really both really just still move me. And mm -hmm. um, especially while I die performing live. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. We we get a some sort of extra connection with the, with the audience a lot of times with that song, and yeah, yeah it feels very very warm and kind of uh, uh, um, interpersonal. <laughs> Plus, there's so much. It's so dynamic to play live. You know, you have it. You can go from like just this, you know quieter section of just bass and spooky bass and drums, and then it just blows <laughs> up to like, you know, it's just done. I think as a dynamic song for live, it's one of our better ones. You know, it's got a spooky lot. Spooky is a very uh, spooky is a uh, tragically underused adjective. I'm just all for that. Sorry. We do have a lot of spooky to us. Yeah, yeah, I like. I, that's what I like. It, I, gotta, we have a lot of a lot of spooky tooth. We're influenced heavily on spooky tooth. I gotta the say, spooky, the song spooky. Yeah. yeah, both the artist spooky tooth right? and the song spooky. Who have yeah, yeah, and I think Omens was called Spooky Ooky before we changed. Right, it. that's <laughs> was the follow up. Spooky Ooky. You know, I, I, and um, I do. Uh, you know, speaking of of uh, of old music. I've always felt that the way we transitioned, uh, you know, from one scene 
into another. See what I did there? Yeah. Is, um, is very much the way Ricky Nelson became Rick Nelson. Mm. Just listen to Garden Party by Rick Nelson and you'll know, you'll know what I mean. That was kind of our template, was yeah. Ricky, Ricky to Rick. I was feeling very Ricky. Yeah. Ricky Birkenhead. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I was thinking it, but yes. Yeah. Yo, I was surprised no one said, I, I, I was surprised you didn't Wait, say power. We didn't, get, we didn't get through it. Rick hey, Birkenhead. Come on, guys. Powered, Powered. I really had a, a tough call between Splinters and Powered. Because yeah, that same here. song is so rocking not the vocal delivery on that is like kick it. wild not but we, jason, jason we, still have, we still have two picks we got greg okay. and drew so greg sorry is it I powered i jumped the shark fucking right. powered man powered by your yeah, yeah greg <laughs> and, and listen what, what what i love about power i was saying i think off maybe off off camera nice. or whatever to javier i was saying what I loved about Into Another, specifically this record and, and Creepy EP, um, is that you guys took all the good stuff from metal and hard rock and you distilled out all the crap. Like all the stuff that makes that stuff cheesy was gone and it was just like all the good elements and powered to me is that. And it reminds me of, I love Black Sabbath, like, uh, like mm. the Dio era too. Uh -huh. And to me, it has that feel of like the Dio era and that and the Born Again album, you know, with the crazy like the satanic Satan baby on the front. Mm -hmm. Like it reminds me of the music on those records. And I just love it. And That's Richie, so cool. Richie's voice is great. Like as someone who myself tries to sing, you do shit on all your records where I'm that, like, that like wow on power yeah. yeah, wow that song should have been on headbangers ball in 1991 <laughs> yeah, and, you know I I, yeah. I fancy myself I'm I'm a much taller Ronnie James Dio That's, you know, I'm you know like two I, Dio's you know what I'm I like love? a Dio standing on a Dio yeah you know what I love <laughs> about powered the use of the ride bell I was talking, um, we have, we have a, a patron named Jason Shrout Bidabo, who's a, a experienced drummer. And we were talking this week about the use of Bell, especially yeah. on this record, but all through into another. And how- Don't yeah, you That thing how, was my main symbol for, that, for those records. And that Bell is so caustic. <laughs> it's yes. Just like in your face and very distinctive. And I used to like to just, I mean, I still like to use a lot of Bell stuff playing, but like that, particular symbol really like it's noticeable and we just i cranked it up i like it uh yeah it's it, that nobody had this as their like i was just amazed that i was the it was first my runner-up it was my runner-up for sure well, that's my, awesome thank you for noticing that too yeah of course <laughs> drew yeah your last what's your hot track so i i don't want to join the splinters boat now because it's so <laughs> jump the shark i know but it really it's kind of trends it's as a song it's it's kind of a transcends the record itself i think it's just kind of our good vibrations from that record there's a lot of shit on it and it's really cool and i'm happy with the way it came out but i really love like just like the raw just sexiness of as it were like when that kicks mm. in just it's such Sorry a about that groove to just get to, to play that song to business. put it on yeah it just feels like you're doing something wrong can i change mine now i forgot about that song. Just i just feel like i actually feel like a badass which i'm so not when i put that um, song on. i'm like cool is that the first By song the way, I, on on revelation to use the word masturbation Oh, no, no it's the second. I, I, Gorilla wow. Biscuit starts today. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good point. But using wow. it in, in terms of actually 
masturbating maybe right uh, yeah i used it as a metaphor <laughs> yes <laughs> so, maybe amniotic oh. wine the first, <laughs> first appearance of amniotic wine in, uh, yes <laughs> in uh, records history when you say let me come inside you empowered though what's the, that's a metaphor right? that, that uh that had that you guys have you know you you have really filthy minds if you think on that he's on a playground guys vulgar, come on. Yeah, right. i mean jesus that is not about cream pies that's about uh you know it's, it's about it's a, it's about metaphysical union metaphysical um, union I, you know, I, I realized throughout the course of this, and, and Drew's ride bell made me think of this. I have to say, in all honesty, all facetiousness aside, because I'm usually kidding, but Drew and what he does, does with a drum kit, and Drew, and Peter, what he does with a guitar, Tony, what he did with, with a bass, I literally, I always felt out of my depth creatively because I was so in awe of what those guys did. And, and to this day, each of those guys with each of those instruments, uh, I am in utter awe of them. And you know, pick any of the of the of the greatest guitarists you can think of, pick any of the greatest drummers you can think of, and think of the pantheon of drummers and guitar guitarists. And you know, in my mind, those guys are are in those respective pantheons completely. And I know because we never got to the level of those those greats. They're they're not in the globally recognized pantheons, but. You know, they really should be. Just, just gotta say that. Gotta put you're that. Not too sh- you're not too shabby, shabby yourself, shabby. though, on there, uh, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Birkenhead. Uh, right. uh, you hold your own as well. So, like, no, no, no it's just but, one yeah. of those bands that, like, we have. I think because of that mutual, just, I mean, we not like we didn't fight a fuck lot, but really, we have like, as far as our playing, we definitely had a lot of mutual respect, and I don't think you could. There was just no way you could replace uh, anyone into another and have the same band. It just, just doesn't happen. Um, so that was a big thing, for, uh, certainly on all parts. And Ooh, then there was the creepy EP, man. That thing was... Uh... I did. I kind of wasn't expecting Jordan to pop in, but I'm glad that he did. Um, I don't. I don't remember sending him an invite. I did. Oh, you did. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did it on the sly. I was like, "Hey, we're going to be talking to the guys, and uh, I know this is like a big, you know, into another is a big band for Rev. I think, and yeah. you you figure all of their albums in some way, shape, or form or, or records." are attached to Rev because even Seamless got a vinyl treatment on Rev and their newest one was like a split label release with Rev and like Ghost Ship or something like that. So like everything they've done is, you know, part of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm an into another fan, you know, um, 
I don't think that they have a bad release. I'll listen to anything. They don't. Um, I have, you know what though? And we'll get to it eventually. But in preparation for this episode, I re-listened to the unreleased, unfinished album, commonly known as Soul Control. I, and with a critical ear, not just like putting it on in the background, but like actually sitting down and listening to it. I got to say, it's not as good as Seamless. It would have been a weird follow-up. Mm. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that eventually. I can't wait to like, because there is an interview on YouTube with Richie where he does talk about Soul Control a bit. Um, you can find that. Uh, maybe we'll put it in our Discord if you're a patron and we'll mm-hmm. discuss it there. But it's just uh, Seamless is such a, I think it's their best record. Now, most people cannot differentiate between best and favorite. And it causes a lot of arguments and a lot of hurt feelings when you bring stuff like this. No, this is the best. This is the best. No, that's your favorite, bro. Like, self-titled is not the best into another record. It's maybe someone's favorite, but it's not the best. So I think that Seamless is their best record, but most people will say that their favorite is... Ignorus. Ignorus, right. That's but the, but like, even, that's, even that's subjective, because what you think is the best and what someone else thinks is the best. Well, I, I don't think that best is subjective. I think that best is an objective comment... I think that favorite is subjective because best has a lot of variables, best recording, best songs, best songwriting, best as an album. Like I love Ignorus, but there's a huge stretch of the album that I just fast forward through because it's too slow for me now. Like, like most of the beginning of side B, you know, uh, William. Yeah, I know you're looking at me cross now. It's too slow Drake for me. Like, I want, I want some fucking bangers. Who was it? I said, and I don't want to get too deep in these because we get to talk about them. But I will say that seamless. When I hear that, and we maybe touched on it in this or the or or the creepy EP, and we'll. I can't wait to dive deep on seamless. But that should have been fucking huge. Like that record, I think should have been seamless. Yeah. Why? why, Just like what Chris Bratton said with Wool, which I also agree. Like, why? Like that would have sat perfectly with Stone Temple Pilots, Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. you know all that kind of like the grunge stuff that still lasted on past like Nirvana. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like all that rock stuff, like like Alice in Chains, were still around. Into another on tour with Bush, absolutely. Yeah, and blowing, right? and blowing them off the stage. Yeah. every night. Right. Yeah. Or like like him. You know. Yeah. You yeah. So well, look, I I like Coheed and Cambria, but when I first heard Coheed and Cambria, I was like, oh, this is just like into another. Like they're mm. just trying to do that, oh, like mm-hmm. Prague. You know, more of a, like a traditional rock sound with mm-hmm. the singing, and it's just. I, and I still, and I, I'm a big fan of Cohen Cambria, but well, into not, another. Not to better. misgender anyone, but I thought for a long time that the singer was a girl. Really? You know, because his voice is so high. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I but know. you know I'm what I mean? Like, fan. like, like they could have, they, they could have been that. Like mm-hmm. they could have been like, cause Coheed were huge. I mean, they're still big, but at one point they were like the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, seamless 
Cannot wait to talk about that one. I yeah, love that but, one. And sometimes that's my favorite too, by the way. I flip mm-hmm. between that and Ignorus. But what about self-titled? I Tell love me self-titled. Your, I, I want to hear your personal connection to self-titled. I kind of told Richie mine, so I don't know yeah. what you're what um, you both. Uh, I heard Ignorus first. Um, the first song on Ignorus was the first Into Another song I ever heard. Okay. Um, in Steve Aoki's bedroom. I think either Steve or our our friend Gabe, maybe our friend Jim, someone brought it over to the house and they put it on. And I was like, "Uh, I'm not really sure about this. Um, Wait, he's lying on his back. And it's, I just, I don't know. And his voice is like, his voice is very interesting, right? When you first hear it. Say, I had the same experience with Glassjaw and Placebo. Anytime there's like a guy with like a really kind of high almost nasally with some falsetto i'm like uh ah, it takes me a while to get into Uh, by the end of the record i was like yes this is this is what i want to listen to now um i don't remember being exposed to self-titled but i remember that i probably worked backwards like ignore us and then creepy ep and then Mm self-titled and because that was all that was out at the time and Self-titled, you know, Underlord is a, a that's a crowd favorite. Everybody always wants to hear it. I I kind of got burnt out on the song. Like there to me that that's one of my that's a skipper for me now in 2021 because <laughs> I I've just heard it so many times. You know what I mean? It's like Lord forgive me. It's yeah, like Greg how was shaking is, his it's head. Like how soon is now? How many times can you really fucking listen to How Soon Is Now? There's more interesting stuff out there. I'm sorry. Quicksand so, cover sick. <laughs> I, you know I would what? probably I'm probably more prone to listen to that cover yeah. than the original. Yeah, just I, think, like, I, I, I have, have been in recent years. How soon is now is on a list of songs that I would be happy with never hearing again for the rest of my life. Um, I'm just I'm over it. I don't need to hear save it, it for the Morrissey episode. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, self-titled. I think that there's just some better songs. I powered, like my hot track. Man, it's so good. And like yeah. I talked about with like the, the ride and like the, the, the leads, I think at the time, maybe I wanted to get away from like what I consider like hair metal or butt rock. Cause there's some definite elements on that record of that. And I, I just wasn't, I wasn't into it at the time. And now in, in hindsight, I, you know, I, I really, really like self-titled. Um, I can listen to it aside from, you know, Underlord, usually I'll listen to the whole, the whole thing. I'm a side B guy. If we're talking like tape or album, I'm going to listen to side B. Um, but yes, I still stand by Splinters being my hot track. It's such a fucking weird and wild song and such a cool video. Um, so yeah, that's my personal connection too. Are you a My War side too guy? I don't listen to My War. It's garbage. Oh, okay. Oh my God. Oh. Hey, Henry Rollins is the worst <laughs> Black Flag singer. I won't willingly listen to any. If we were to do a Black Flag we have challenge to. right now, we're going I, to, dude. I would need probably to. drop out. I'd be like, no, okay, no, no. You I got can do damaged, it. done. I don't need to listen to any of this. You're, you're crazy because no. Rollins is the best Black Flag That's singer. <laughs> 100% false statement. He is. It, it goes Keith Morris, then Ron Reyes, then Dez than henry rollins so basically you think that they just got progressively worse as they went along correct <laughs> what about you jason 
Um, you know, I go back and forth because I do love Keith Morris, but Rollins, I think, is my favorite. But I also understand that Rollins maybe took the band in a direction that Greg didn't want to take it. I think it's the other way around. With the later releases. And I think, I think that, that, Ginn, what, that was all I don't think anyone could have matched what Greg Ginn, Ginn was trying to ship. do with it. Yeah, Ginn steered the ship and Rollins yeah. was trying to keep up with him. I don't think that Rollins had a good record. No, not a good record. Rollins didn't really hold my attention until the end of Silence. Okay. I think that's his but, apex. But like the I end of Silence jazz might I was, be my favorite. I was I was talking about Rollins band yesterday with my friend Larry, bit at Bo Larry. We went uh record shopping, socially distanced record shop. And uh you know, I said end of silence is cool, but all the songs are so long. They're all like nine minutes long. Yeah. That's too like, but you know, the thing with Black Flag. And maybe this is why the first punk record I ever heard that wasn't like, like I had Nirvana, I had Sonic Youth and, you know, when I was in like fifth grade or whatever. And then Black Flag, I heard My War in sixth grade, but only the first side, because I think I saw the second side and saw the songs were long and I was like, no, I'm good. And the first side's just, you know, all the like straightforward as far as they could be on there, like the yeah. song I wore. And that was the, that was the first real punk I heard. I was in sixth grade. You like it? And I, I love, I, like I love my war. I like the song, my war. I, th- I, th- I like, and I love songs. side two now. I like the I, songs I on damaged. Um, but I don't really enjoy the recording and the production. I think it's, it's a really hard listen. Well, they, they me. suffer almost everyone has yeah. just abysmal production. And, but if you listen you, to like the very first seven inch with Keith Morris, that's their best man. recording. Yeah. I'll say that. It's like, incredible. Like, yeah. Re- recording wise, that first four years, the yes. somehow that they like the production was good. And then I, I just think it was Greg Ginn just being a, a complete and utter stoner and just totally. not like totally. caring. And, you know, I was a huge fan of, and still am, but, the decline of Western civilization was a huge, huge influence on me growing up. Musically, yeah, part two. thematically, no, not part two. <laughs> um, like attitude-wise, like um, after I left 18 Visions, I kind of regressed a little bit and wanted to be punk as fuck. And just like, I wanted to live the decline of Western civilization. If you watch that movie, the like beginning credits where... It has um, X playing, but yeah. then in the background, there's like kind of like a riot mosh going on. Like yeah. that's what I wanted sh- a show to look like. That People awesome. just like wildly flailing and like jumping around and not like, you know, hardcore dancing as they yeah. say. Um, and the Black Flag footage in that movie is unreal. Yeah. And so that's cool. With- that's with Ron Reyes, yeah, right? Yeah, Chavo. And yeah. so I worked at a, a salon for many years in Hermosa Beach. And it's down the street from the church, the building in that, which is now a bougie-ass restaurant called Abigail. No, really? That's owned by a restaurant group. And one of the owners is Fletcher from Pennywise. So you go into this really nice restaurant and you can get like 
poutine and like Scottish eggs and like all these like really nice things. But then you go in the bathroom and it's plastered with old punk flyers. Greg, we're going. Yeah. <laughs> they got any vegan, make it. They got any vegan stuff? Huh? I don't think so. I don't even know if it's open anymore. And then up the street, it's so uh, what's God, I forget the guy's name. One of the guys that they talk about a lot in Mojack podcast, um, uh, Carducci, I think. Okay. Uh, no, Carducci. Yeah. yeah no, Carducci. I've looked on, he has a, a blog and he talks uh, on one of the, the blog posts about all of the former offices of SST records and it has all of the addresses. So you can like travel around the South Bay and like see all these old SST offices. And one of them is now a coffee shop called Java Man. And uh, I went there one morning before work and Wee Man was there. And Wee Man also owning a, a taco spot down the street called Chronic Tacos. Like it, there's just, uh, you walk around the South Bay and you can just almost like feel the old punkness in the air, even though it's been completely gentrified. And there's, it's like kind of upper middle-class white people. There's still a lot of in the area, like um, punkness. Uh, walking down the street one time, I may have told this, this might be another old war story that I've told, but scratched into the pavement is the word Darby. And I'm convinced that it was either done by or for Darby crash. You know what I mean? Because that's just a weird coincidence that you're down the street from where Black Flag hung out and there's Darby scratched into the cement. Come on. Yeah. So anyway, anyway, into another. Yeah, into another. Uh, what I'm saying is, Greg, what's your personal connection? Into another? <laughs> I, so I think the first time I heard them was probably the in-flight program. What so songs was, on there? I guess I could pull it up. To be free. Asking you. Okay. So it, was, it was like not even like a hit. It was kind of an odd choice, I thought. But I guess that was the newest. To be free is the B-side for the herbivore. For the herbivore seven-inch. Seven inch, yeah. Okay. Which – you know, now I get because that was the newest thing, and I don't think they probably they probably didn't have the rights to put a seamless track on there. Um, and uh, I heard it, and I remember thinking like, "This is weird," but it it grew on me. And then I think the first one, like Hav, I think I just got Ignorus, and then worked back. I might have gotten Seamless first because Seamless, even in 1997, you could find um, you could find for like two dollars on the cd, CD. Uh-huh. so like yeah. i got that and um you know i was into underdog but i think underdog i got into around the same time like those fans were a little later than like me getting into quicksand and all that was a little earlier because I, th- I think i had to be a little more mature yes to get into another and into um, another i don't think it's a completely accessible band right i agree uh, i think that it's one of those bands where you kind of have to be Okay, you don't have to be, but it helps if you are smarter, if you are well-read, if you have an open mind, you know, if maybe you, I don't know. I just don't think it's like anybody can pick up Youth of Today and be like, oh yeah, this rocks, this is punk. You know, this is is fast, this is hardcore. Into another, mm, it's not for everybody, you know. It's a grower. uh, it's a grower, yeah. It, it, but it, it it pays off like dividends yeah. because yeah. like I love them now, and I think that I, you know, definitely wouldn't have like 
there's something that I just think you need to like marinate on. Jason. And, um, sorry to cut that? you off, Greg. Uh, you talked a little bit about your into another tattoo, but you didn't really tell the story. About oh. it. Can you tell <laughs> yeah, so let's end with let's end with a jason tattoo war story yeah. yeah so this was my first tattoo that i ever got it's an into another star and i got it when i was on the rocker spot old. how old yeah you? it was a bad it was a bad place to get it yeah he said he was 18 right 18. yeah i was 18 i went to the shop and i and i said i want to get this tattooed and they said no there's no way that we can do that why they weren't good enough they, because the, you know, the lines, the yeah. lines are so straight and it's uh-huh. got the 11 points that spell out the band name into another, like we learned on the episode, but, uh, it, they just didn't want to do it because, uh, and they said, well, let me just do it like one line. And I was pushing for them to do it like block style. Uh-huh. And, uh, they do did it and he did, you know, a good enough job for like you walk into a tattoo shop and you're 18 and it's your first sure. tattoo. Yeah. But it definitely is like, so what not year was the greatest that? Like work. 1987 when you were 18? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. 1955. <laughs> that was 1945. I went in, but uh, no, it's, it, and this was the only tattoo on this arm for the longest time. Uh-huh. And then maybe 10 years ago, I went and I actually, uh, got tattooed by Siv underneath that. I got a gorilla from Siv. Uh, and so that kind of opened this arm up. And then since then, it's just been a free for all of getting more tattoos, which is always fun. But I kind of wish I kept my arm clean, and, except for the Into Another Star in this one. The rocker spot, like the um, the Greg Greg from uh, Engine Kid, True Till Death on his arm. <laughs> yeah. you know? Oh, dude, didn't someone from Unbroken have something cool right there? In that same spot, hold on to your friends is on there. Yeah, I don't know if he's that's uh, maybe Eric Allen's guitar. Eric Allen also had Viva Hate on his forearm. I have a really good picture from Unbroken's first last show with Eric Allen, and he's got mm-hmm. like a nice um, button up shirt and it's rolled up, and you can see the Viva Hate just like the album with the, the quotes around it and stuff. It's yeah, cool to see. that's pretty cool. I, I love tattoos, and I love. It's just cool. I mean, Siv is such a great tattoo artist also. I hope we do get to talk to him for the um, Siv episodes, but mm-hmm. I went and I got tattooed Let's by put that again. out in the universe. Yeah. Yeah, I would love it if he came on here. Siv, come on and talk. I don't, have, I don't have any tattoos. So I, I would I also, um, after um, this podcast, I looked around and we have a patron nam- named Chad Keplinger, who is a phenomenal tattoo artist. Great tattoo artist. And I would like to get tattooed by him as well someday so uh i think i'm just gonna have to go on tour and get tattooed by all of these great tattoo artists all around the country chad keplinger yeah. dylan Schreifels, Siv. that's um, right who else that we've interviewed uh not with that we've interviewed but uh, laura laura scotton which is mm-hmm. drew's wife drew's girlfriend partner, wife. yeah drew's partner thank partner. you mm-hmm. um yeah it's awesome i love the connection between tattoos and hardcore and it would mm-hmm. be fun to talk to someone more about it and i'd look forward to going and getting matching uh mustache man tattoos with you at some not point not mustache huh? man chiquita banana yes, the little, yes, the little chiquita banana gorilla from <laughs> dylan and then we'll go have screamers with drew afterwards i'll just wait in the car yeah you can keep no, the car just <laughs> <laughs> and then i get the pizza yeah. no I, I just don't yeah so uh yeah into another what do we got next episode you guys far side Mm-hmm. Rochambeau. Rochambeau. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, that's 
we're we're really getting into some interesting material here and um i'm stoked to be in the early 90s right now and starting Me to too. get also kind of into my neck of the woods if you know what i mean orange yeah. county far side can't wait and um, we're gonna have a conversation with redacted yeah with I'm... some people <laughs> with some people yeah. we'll, we'll see or person that. people who knows thing yeah um, all, all right. right. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and we'll see you next episode. Bit of bow. Peace. What's up, everybody? This is Javier from the Where It Went podcast. Just wanted to give a special bit of bow to our top tier patrons Billy Tunnell, Bram Hubble, Brandon Gavell, Brooklyn, Cesar Falcon, Chad Keplinger, David Palmer, Dirk Focused, G. Jason Head, Greg Jackson, John Cowell, Dollar Slice Bootlegs, Quiet Keith, Nate of Head to Wall Fame, O'Neill, The Horsefucker, Siren Records, Rob Moran, and Tim Shear. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, please check out www.whereitwentpodcast for more information. See you next time.